As we continue to celebrate the great 50 days of Easter, let us proclaim the good news of Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. The peace of our risen Christ be with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, especially those of you who are visiting with us. We are so glad that you're here with us today. There is a friendship pad on each one of the pews near the center aisle. It's a black folder, and we'd love to have you sign it and let us know you're here and pass it down the row so other people can sign it too. The announcements of the life of our church are in your bulletin in our connections, and you can see that today there is going to be a home gathering at noon at Seal and Fred's home. If you have signed up for that, it is great. There are 45 of you coming, so if you haven't signed up for it, it'd be real good if you choose one of the other ones. These are some of our gatherings together with Jerry to kind of reminisce about the past years and to uh, say, say some goodbyes and some, uh, some other things to one another. They are, they've been just wonderful gatherings. Also today at 11 o'clock is a first communion class for fourth graders and fifth graders. And you can see that our family fun night is coming up this Friday night. No, the Saturday. I'm sorry, Saturday night. The details are inside of the connections. And if I looked there, then I would have that too. Um, next Sunday at 10 o'clock is going to be our congregational meeting to elect our nominating committee that will be nominating deacons and elders for our congregation. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we come into your presence this morning as an expression of the deep desire of our hearts to abide in you, to invite you into our very souls, to ask you to grow the fruit of your presence in our lives. Fill us up with your love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness and generosity and self-control. We thank you for your presence this morning, not only in this space, but in the space of our lives. May you be glorified in all that we say and do and sing here. We ask in your name. Amen. Please join me for our call to worship. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him, indeed, shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity shall serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Amen. Let us stand and worship. I know that my Redeemer lives. What comfort the sweet sentence gives. Oh, my God. 
because we have failed to love God with the totality of our being and have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, we pray responsively. Forgive us, O oh God, for failing to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive us when we fail to keep your commandment to love one another. Restore in us the willingness to reach beyond our comfort zone, to care for those in need, to let go of grudges and judging, to remember that all have sinned. Gracious Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our sins. Remove the obstacles preventing us from being your representatives to a broken world. Awaken our hearts to the promised gift of your indwelling spirit. And hear now the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. My friends, God's love was revealed to us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thanks be to God. Amen. We join together in our prayer for illumination. Word of God, speak. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still. Amen. I ask you to open your Bibles to the Old Testament, to the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, the introductory psalm for the whole canon of the Psalter. This psalm in many ways uh, summarizes the message of all 150 of the psalms. 
Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season. and Their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And from the New Testament, John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm so thankful and excited this morning to see my wife back in church. Welcome, Kay. She's been recovering from... <clears throat> Thanks be to God. The Psalter talks about two different ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. It's never been all that clear to me who are the righteous and who are the wicked. Because I've been able to identify both in me. And I suspect if we are honest, we would respond the same way. The line of sin runs through our lives, all of us. We are saints and sinners at the same time. We live by the grace of God and we, we are seeking to be alive, to be fully alive. And that's why we're here this morning, alive to God and alive to one another. 
Psalm 1 talks about the righteous as the one who abides or who is planted like a tree beside streams of living water, planted in good soil with the water nearby, causing the tree to bear good fruit. We all want to bear good fruit and the gospels speak to us, as do the letters in the New Testament and other places, about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit that grows in our lives by virtue of our abiding in Christ and being alive to the fullness of His life within us. That's what I want my life to be like. And I'm sure you do too. All this has been going through my mind as I've uh, been thinking about this text in John 15, one of the great I am sayings of Jesus. This is the last of the I am, the seven I am sayings. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, when I think of grapes, I think of wine. And I'm like many of you. I love nothing more than a good glass of red wine. Especially at a meal. Our culture and the entertainment of our time tells a story about when our attachments to the things, to the material things of the world, whether they be grapes or whatever, take over in our life and we begin to organize our lives around them. Not long ago, we, we enrolled in the HBO on our cable channel, and I discovered that a lot of the movies there are not the kind of movies that I want to watch. They're filled with violence and extreme sexual acting out and behavior. One of them I saw in 2004, it was a very, very well-known movie, Sideways. Story of kind of two men who were on a bachelor's party, not to Las, Las Vegas, but to north of Santa Barbara in the San Ynez Valley. One was an over-the-hill actor who was being married another time and who had very little sense of his self. His college roommate was with him. He was a teacher, an aspiring author, and before the wedding and the following weekend, they went on a tour of the wine country around San Ynez in the valley there. Beautiful place, rolling vineyards with huge clusters of grapes, not unlike those pictured on the cover of the bulletin this morning. The actor, his being remarried was entering into a new form of bondage, of slavery. And this was his last week to be free. And what he really wanted to do was to drink the best wine he could until he was obliterated and lost consciousness, eat great food, and get laid. Not unlike many, many others in our culture. His best friend, the teacher, 
a newly divorced aspiring author. All he wanted was a few days of rest. Play some golf, eat some, drink some great wine, eat some good food, just have a good time. He was the best man at the wedding. But as they were traveling, the actor told the teacher something that he did not know. He told him his ex-wife had remarried and gotten into recovery and was again sane and sober and had married a responsible man. The poor teacher pulled off, pulled the convertible off the road amongst the vineyards, reached into the back seat and took a bottle of the most expensive wine, popped it open, ran from the car screaming into the rows of the vineyard gulping as much of the wine as he possibly could, crying out in pain. I've been thinking a lot about this. We're all in search of life. Which is another way of saying that we're all in search of love. But oftentimes searching for love in all the wrong places, at least in the larger culture. We seek to fill our lives up with things that we think that will satisfy us or anesthetize us or keep us from facing the reality of our lives and allow us to continue to live in denial of what's going on about the spiritual search in our lives not realizing that many of our behaviors are highly destructive. They come to nothing, and they might be characterized as the way of the wicked, that the wind blows away at the end of the day, posing the question, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to find love? What does it mean to be creatively alive with the power of heaven to be alive to god and to be alive to one another that's a question for the church as well as for our secular culture and the scriptures answer that the way to life and to love in an ultimate sense can only be found in following jesus the very incarnation of the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's interesting, and in the Gospel of John, that the people who are moving in and out of Jesus' life are all in pursuit of things like food. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats this bread will never be hungry or thirsty. Or to the Samaritan woman at the well who is having to come every day and draw the water from the deep Jacob's well. And Jesus at midday, while his disciples are in the city getting lunch for them, 
as they're going up north to Galilee from Jerusalem. He joins this woman alone at Jacob's well and asks her for a drink. And all she wants to know is that, you know, why is it that you, a Jew, are, are asking a drink of water from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and, and Samaritans don't have anything in common. And Jesus responds to her, I'll tell you, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And her response to that was, give me this water, this living water, so that I will not have to come to this well again and draw from it. And so likewise in John 15, Jesus is speaking to a culture that had identified itself, at least in ancient Israel, as God's vine, as the vineyard that God had planted that God expected to bear great fruit, but at the end of the day had produced sour grapes, wine that could not be drunk. And because of that, the judgment of God had fallen upon them. The people had neglected the weightier matters of the law of God. They had not abided in Christ and God and lived in the power of the Word and the Spirit of God, and therefore their lives the life of the nation had come under judgment. In the New Testament then, Jesus comes and he says, I am the true vine. I am God's vineyard. I am the true Israel. And I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. If you abide in me and I abide in you and, in my, and you abide in my word, your life will bear fruit, love and joy. And he could have added all the other fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. Let me be your God and follow me and I will fill you up with life. We're not told how the disciples responded to that, to that invitation, but Jesus was addressing the most fundamental need of all. Remember that story in John chapter 2 of, of the wedding at Cana of Galilee where Jesus and his mother Mary and his disciples were invited and they drank all the good wine up early and the wine steward said, how is it that you didn't buy enough wine for this wedding party? And Jesus said to him, well, just fill these six ceremonial jars up with water. And then Jesus spoke a word, his word, and the water blushed, and the finest wine that had ever been tasted was produced, and the steward was confounded. Jesus was not a teetotaler. He, he enjoyed a wedding feast and wine and food and all of that, but he was not a drunkard. <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we invited Jesus into our hearts. And thus began a long journey of walking in the Spirit 
and growing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I said a couple of weeks ago, C.S. Lewis said, every morning we get up as Christians and we dress up like Christ. We pretend we know that we are not Christ. We know what's in our hearts. We know that the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit are at war within each of us. Nevertheless, we get up and we pretend. And it's God who's doing the pretending because he sees us as we really are. We need his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy. We need to be filled up by his presence. And the Lord knows that. And so when the church is the, the believing community comes together, we come together as an expression of the deep desire that God is creating within us to abide in Christ. To be in such close fellowship with the one triune God that He dwells within us. That our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And He creates that deep desire within us to be connected with a love that will not let us go with a love and joy that wants to live within us whatever the circumstances of our lives may be. And once we begin that journey, what happens to us is what Jesus was talking about in John 15. God begins to prune the vines, the branches, <laughs> in order that we may bear more fruit. Lewis talked about it in terms of considering ourselves as living houses, we begin to follow Christ and, and we think that God's at work within us is to, to create a, a nice little um, place uh, for God or the Spirit of Christ to live. And then we begin to realize that this is a painful journey. And God begins to build towers and new rooms and new outdoor uh, gardens and all of that and it's clear that he's not just building a little place but he's building a palace and he intends to come and live within this living house and to grow the fruits of the spirit and that takes pruning you ever been aware that your life was being pruned and how that might be painful to you You know that across the years, I've spoken repeatedly of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's that wonderful story about the very nasty little boy, Eustace, who found his way into the land of Narnia, was on the ship called uh, Don Treader. They arrived at Dragon Island, and he had been such a nasty kid that everyone on the boat just was very unhappy with him. And he managed to wander off to do his own thing from the whole group, and he became lost. And one morning he awakened. He had found a dragon's lair that was filled with all kinds of precious jewels and coins. And he was just sort of laying and back and sleeping. And he awakened in the morning and discovered that there was a dragon beside him. And all of a sudden he looked at his own hands and they were dragon hands. Fire and smoke was coming out of his nose. He had turned into a dragon. 
he had become on the outside what he already was on the inside. And he did everything he could do to scrape those dragon skins off of him. Three times he peeled himself. And there was the skin laying beside him, but each time he did, he was more of a dragon than ever before until Aslan, the Christ lion, showed up and commanded him to lay down on his back and said to him, I'm the only one that can remove the dragon skins. And he plunged his deep claws into the dragon's breast and cut deeply into the depths of the dragon's body and then peel that huge dragon identity off of him. And what he discovered was the little boy Eustace, raw and undragoned. And Aslan took that skin, threw it aside, and then he took young Eustace, undragoned, and carried him over to a well that was like a baptismal fount and threw him in and the water stung and he was healed and his humanity was restored. Sometimes pruning can seem like that. Painful, but necessary if our humanity is to be restored. The journey continued. Eustace was dressed up in new clothes and he was restored to the community and is ready to go on on the ship of the Don Shredder. And the commentary was that Eustace was a, a very different kid. He was not perfect and he could still irritate people. But all that mattered was that the cure had begun. This is the work of God in every one of us, including me. The cure has begun. The transformation, the growing of the fruit of the Spirit, the reckoning of ourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Jesus Christ. A life that is fruit-bearing and in which God is active, wooing us to desire nothing more than His presence in our lives. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, knowing that all the things that we need will be added to us. In my own life over these past months, it's been like a pruning in which I have discovered how much I really need God to help me deal with all the issues of my life. Thanks be to God that He's shown up. And even in the midst of pain, He's been peeling my life and washing me clean by his word and spirit and beginning just a bit to help me to love as I have been loved 
by Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God of infinite love, Lord who is with us today, as the one who's planted our lives and who longs to see us live productively. We ask that you will stir up our spirits, that you will awaken us to your presence, that you will empower us to walk in your ways, and you'll give to us your mind, the mind of Christ, And that we might learn to love one another as you have loved us. Thank you for the church. In this context in which we are pruned and accepted and forgiven and graced in so many ways through brothers and sisters, thank you for your mission at work in and through us. We ask that we may live, leave this place this morning full of the power of life that we have found in Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering. Oh Lord, undragon me, undragon us. <clears throat>
Merciful God, from whom comes all that is good, we praise you for all your mercies, for your goodness that has created us, your grace that has sustained us, your wisdom that has challenged us, and your love that has redeemed us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Renew in your, your whole church the passionate desire for the coming of your kingdom, which unites all Christians in one mission to the world that we would all grow up together into him who is our head, the savior of the world. Word of life, we give you thanks for feeding our bodies, but more importantly, feeding our souls, filling our true hunger and quenching our true thirst. For our church, we ask that you would cause us to use our time, talents, gifts, to spread through our neighborhoods, homes, schools, places of work, the good news of your reconciling love. And pray that it is a witness that our time and riches are not being stored in what can fall away, but what can last for the sake of our Savior. With thanksgiving for all your gifts, we offer you ourselves and all that we have. In union with Christ's offering for us, we pray for your blessing on this offering to the glory of Christ, the one who taught us praying, saying, Our, Our Father, who, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom, kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
May we go forth this morning filled with the Spirit of the living God, knowing that He's alive in our hearts and minds, growing the fruit of the Spirit in each one of us and within His church. We go forth then in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to live and to walk at peace. Amen. Thank you. 